Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to uh, come to the place of prayer in just a moment. Uh, Before we do that, let me just mention a few things specifically uh, for which we will pray. Um, This morning, uh, Pastor Collins is preaching up at Covenant Church in Millers Falls. Let's pray for his ministry there. Uh, Pastor Brad Evans is uh, preaching today at the church that he used to pastor, the Presbyterian Church of Coventry. So again, we will pray for his ministry as well. Uh, It was a joy to have the Melitiotis' share with us during Sunday school. Uh, Today, we will pray for that ministry uh, in Greece. Uh, Also, um, uh, Dottie Crevier's brother, Frank, is with us today. We have been praying for him uh, down in Jacksonville recently in the loss of his wife. Um, It's a delight to have him with us today, but we will uh, be praying for him. Uh, It's also good to have uh, one of the Ruiz's uh, relatives, Sean McGowan, with us. Sean is a a PCA minister down in Florida, and it's a delight to have him with us, and we will pray for that ministry uh, also. And then uh, just one other thing uh, to especially mention um, that's not been mentioned before as a prayer request, or not recently at least as a prayer request, and that is just that Jesse Perez-Algren's cousin, whose name is Jesse Um, is 28 years old. Uh, She's a woman and has uh, breast cancer that has now progressed to a point where they're uh, not going to be giving any more treatment uh, for her. Let's pray for her and uh, for her family uh, during this time. Well, let's now look to the Lord, our God, together uh, in prayer. Lord, our uh, God and Heavenly Father, we uh, do delight to come into your presence. We know that you are uh, all sovereign, O Lord, that you made heaven and earth, the sea and everything that is in it. Uh, You created all things at a word. You uphold all things by the word of your power. Uh, Lord, nothing happens apart from your decree. Uh, You are wise and you are good in all of your ways. And it is our delight to place our trust in in you, uh, the ever-living God. Uh, Lord, we give you thanks that ultimately the affairs of this world are not in the hands of the most powerful nations and men. Uh, We thank you, O Lord, that though wicked men in their sinfulness continue to do wicked things, O Lord, that you are the God over all who is bringing your purposes to come to pass. And we give you thanks especially that at the very center of your purposes for this world is the work which you have done through Jesus Christ to redeem people from this present evil age and to deliver us into that kingdom which shall have no end, even the kingdom of our great King, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in this. We rejoice, O Lord, that when the kingdoms of this world have fallen and will fail, that your kingdom will remain forever. Uh, We thank you that Jesus Christ is even now on the throne and is receiving worship from cherubim and seraphim and the saints that have gone before. And it is this company, Lord, that we join today in your worship. It is this company which we will be part of for all eternity. And Lord, we do rejoice in you. And so, Lord, we plead with you this day that you would help us in the weakness of our faith. Lord, we say with the disciple, we believe, yet 
help thou our unbelief. Lord, far too often we live by sight rather than by faith. Uh, We live, O Lord, reasoning about this world according to our fallen reason rather than according to the promises and the truth of your word. Forgive us for this, O Lord, our God, and grant us increased faith, faith to believe in you and all of your promises, faith to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. Faith, O Lord, to have our view of this world governed by the perspective of your word, which is truth. Grant that this be the case, O Lord, our God. And Father, we do pray for uh, uh, the extension uh, and expansion, Lord, of your kingdom throughout this world. We pray, Lord, that the gospel would go forth in power. We pray that for uh, regions near our own. We think today, as Pastor Collins ministers your word among the saints in Miller's Falls, that you would build those saints up in faith and in holiness. We pray, O Lord, that people would continue to be added to that congregation. Uh, We pray that they would have uh, a faithful gospel witness in that region and that many would come to saving faith in Jesus. We pray as well for Brad Evans and for his ministry in Coventry today. And we thank you for that faithful congregation over so many years. Continue to bless the ministry in that place under Pastor Will Snyder. And we pray today as Pastor Evans preaches, Lord, that the word would come with power in that place. Lord, we pray for a gospel outreach in West Springfield and in these regions. Lord, we even now begin to lift up our Vacation Bible School, and we pray that many children would come, both believers uh, and unbelievers alike. Uh, Lord, we pray that some would hear the gospel, even for the first time, and come to place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that all the details that are necessary for the coming Vacation Bible School would begin to come together, and that you, by your Spirit, would grant great success to these efforts. Lord, our God in heaven, we pray that as many of us have interaction with unbelieving family members and friends and neighbors and co-workers, Lord, enable us by your grace to, to, to be something of the fragrance of Christ around them. Lord, we pray that by our lives and by our words, we would show forth Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask, O living God, that many would come to know Jesus and Receive that gift of eternal life in Him. O Lord, do this work in our region, we pray. But we do pray, Lord, for other areas of of Your world. Uh, We do think today especially of uh, the land of Greece, and especially Volos, Greece, and the region surrounding that area. Uh, We thank You, O Lord, uh, for the church uh, in that place. We thank You for Pastor Meletiotis and for his a preaching of the Word of God and His ministry among that flock. We pray that You would build those people up, uh, that they would walk closely with their Savior, that they would have their eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ. We pray that many more would come to believe also. We thank You for the Bible distribution that has occurred. And Lord, we pray that as more and more receive the Word of God, Uh, in their language, the language which they speak day to day, Father, that they would 
through the Word, come face to face with Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that they would experience the conviction of sin. And Lord, that they would see Christ in all of His beauty and glory and place their faith in Him. We do pray that Your Spirit would do this mighty work and that many would be saved through these efforts. Lord, we pray that that church would receive continued encouragement in these labors, Lord, to go on uh, distributing uh, the Scriptures. We pray as well for their ministry among uh, refugees. Uh, We pray, O Lord, our God, that You would use this for Your glory uh, in that place, that You would bless uh, those refugees who have been uh, ministered to, that they would be assimilated not only into Greek culture, but would have a faith that is placed in Jesus Christ, Lord, would have that faith deepened. Uh, We pray for them. Lord, our God in heaven, we pray for Angela and for Melidi and for their family, their four children, that you would build them up, uh, that you would encourage them. We thank you for Angela's health, even as we've come now on a year since her heart surgery. And Lord, we pray that she would continue to know strength uh, from you, Uh, physical strength, that you'd bless them both with the health that they need, Lord, to continue on with this work. But even in their weakness, might they know uh, that you are strong. Lord, our God in heaven, we do pray for our dear brother, uh, Frank, uh, even in the recent loss of his wife. Lord, we thank you for the promises of Holy Scripture, that for those that belong to Jesus Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We believe that, O Lord, and we pray that even as he believes that truth and rests on those promises, Lord, that you would strengthen him and provide him sweet consolation as the days and the years move forward. We continue to pray for Joe Ruiz, Lord, and the loss of his mother, and to pray, Lord, for Joe and Amy and their family, that you also, Lord, would be near to them in their sorrow and in their grief, we pray. O gracious God in heaven, we um, we do pray for uh, Jesse Perez Algren's sister or cousin Jesse, Lord. We believe that she knows you. We pray, Lord, that she would rest upon you, uh, even as she uh, experiences just this this very difficult diagnosis, Lord. We pray, Lord. We know that you are bigger even than breast cancer, and that you are able to sustain life. And we ask, Lord, that you would do it in this instance, Lord. We believe that you are able. We do not know all of your purposes. We do pray, O Lord, that uh, in this time of sorrow and of sadness, Lord, that you would nonetheless be near to her, that her hope and faith in Jesus Christ would burn and shine brightly, we pray. Gracious God in heaven, Uh, We thank you that you are uh, the one who is with us. We do pray for uh, your work uh, through the ministry of Sean McGowan down in Florida. And Lord, we pray for that local congregation. Oh, gracious God, that you would bless uh, the people there, we pray as well. And grant that they would be growing as a congregation. Lord, our God, you are good. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for the way that you have been near to us. Uh, continue to bless us. We pray for our sister Colleen Zalewski as she has a surgery upcoming that you would be near to her. We do pray for Jesse Perez-Algren as she has surgery uh, that was now going to take place in August. We pray, Lord, that you would bless her and be near to her also. Uh, Lord, uh, draw near to your needy people 
Uh, We look unto you, we give you thanks, and we pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Let's continue our worship together. We're going to sing now hymn number uh, 431. Uh, We are going to be beginning very shortly a new sermon series on the book of Galatians. Uh, The theme of Galatians, more than anything else, is that of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's free grace to us through the work of the Lord Jesus and giving himself on Calvary's tree for us. And so we're going to sing together the hymn, which is one of the great gospel hymns, And Can It Be That I Should Gain an Interest in the Savior's Blood? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Hymn number 431, let's stand to sing.
uh, open with me now in God's Word to uh, the New Testament book, the uh, Epistle of Paul to the Galatian Church, the book of uh, Galatians. You'll find that, of course, in your uh, New Testaments, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then Galatians, the book of uh, Galatians. Galatians uh, has uh, six chapters, and we'll, we'll spend the, the next several months uh, making our way through this uh, glorious uh, book. Now, I am aware, young people, those of you that attend the youth group on Wednesday nights, uh, that you, in the last several months, have also been studying the book of Galatians. Uh, you're now drawing close to the end of your study. Uh, I was aware of that as I made the decision about what to preach on uh, next. Uh, nevertheless, nevertheless, I thought for you it wouldn't be any harm in going back through this uh, Bible, uh, or back through this book in a little bit different format, not just a Bible study discussion, but now to hear the Word of God uh, preached on. But for the rest of you, uh, you've not heard the book of Galatians preached on, at least since I've been here, which is eight years now. In fact, in my 19 years of gospel ministry, I have never preached consecutively through the book of Galatians before. And so uh, I'm looking forward to doing it uh, very, very much. Well, with that, uh, by way of introduction, let's now uh, just read the first five verses of Galatians chapter 1. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Uh, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's now look once again to the Lord uh, in prayer. Lord, we have opened up your scriptures Today, it is the living and active Word of God. We pray, O Lord, at the very outset of our study of the book of Galatians, Lord, that you would come in the power of your Spirit and bless your Word preached to our soul's good. O Lord, draw near to us, we pray. We thank you for your Word. Use it for your glory. Make us see something more of the glory and wonder of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has redeemed us from all of our sins. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Uh, well, this book, the book of Galatians, is addressed uh, to a number of Christian churches which uh, we're in a, a region, a region of the Roman province of Galatia. But these were churches that were very uh, near and dear to Paul's heart. Churches that are in what is today likely southern Turkey. 
churches which Paul himself had evangelized and planted in places like Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. You'll remember that Paul went from place to place preaching uh, the gospel at first in the synagogue, was often driven out by the Jews, but then left behind him a congregation of believers in uh, Jesus Christ. And Paul himself was driven uh, very near death at points, persecuted for the faith that he was bringing, but driven from one city to the next. And in each place, a congregation of believers was established. And Paul then went back through these cities and strengthened them in the faith. But then, soon after uh, Paul left, uh, some false teachers came in, and in their false teaching brought trouble. They began to mount a powerful attack on Paul's authority as an apostle. And they began as well to contradict the gospel which Paul himself had preached, a gospel which was built on the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And so Paul himself because of this false teaching, saw reason to write to these Galatian churches, which were so near and dear to his heart. And in these uh, chapters that we're going to go through, you'll notice that on the one hand, uh, Paul is going to uh, defend his own apostleship, his authority as an apostle, his right speaking on behalf of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. But then... And even more centrally in this book, he is going to defend the gospel of God's free grace in uh, Jesus Christ. This is a book which is all about the gospel. And indeed, as we go through this together, it is my prayer that as certainly as Paul desired for these Galatian churches to be firmly rooted upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is my prayer that it will be exactly the same uh, for us. Uh, The book of Galatians has had an extraordinary impact through all of church history. If you think, for example, of that a wonderful period of renewal and revival in the church called the Protestant Reformation, the book of Galatians had a very uh, central place. That on the one hand, as the authority, uh, that the book of Galatians, as, as Paul expresses his apostolic authority, the book of Galatians was used to Uh, reinforce that idea that God has spoken through His apostles in the pages of Holy Scripture, and this Scripture alone is the authority for the faith and life of the church, the doctrine of sola scriptura. But also in the time of the Reformation, it was the book of Galatians, which speaks so clearly of that teaching that we are saved through the finished work of Jesus Christ, which is received by faith alone. Galatians was especially a book used in Martin Luther's life. He wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians. And so you'll be hearing a lot of Luther quotes uh, over these next uh, several months uh, together. But even as this book was so greatly used at the time of the Reformation, indeed, it is my prayer that it will be greatly used in the life of the Church of Jesus Christ today. For today, as much as ever, the... the uh, 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 the notes sounded by the book of Galatians need to be heard loud and clear uh, once again. 
Well, in these opening five verses, which we are given in Galatians, Paul, as it were, through his address, his opening address to the Galatians, hints at these two great themes, which are going to be present throughout this book. On the one hand, his apostolic authority, his authority as an apostle, and on the other hand, the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's those two things that we're going to see introduced for us here and that are going to structure our sermon today. First of all, in today's sermon, we are going to see an authority that is not from man. And we see that in verses 1 and 2. And then secondly, we are going to see a gospel that is not from man in verses 3 through 5. So first of all, an authority that is not from man. Secondly, a gospel which is not from man. Well, first of all, we see in verses 1 to 2 an authority that is not from man. Uh, Paul, as he does so often in the letters which he writes, immediately identifies himself in this epistle. He says, Paul, an apostle. Now, apostle is a word which means messenger. It's somebody who is sent. It's an ambassador who is sent to do the bidding of another. Somebody who is acting on another's authority. And Paul says, my identity is this. I am Paul, an apostle, and very clearly an apostle here of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his ministry, had selected a certain number of his disciples to be apostles. It was 12 at first, was it not, in the course of his uh, earthly ministry. And these 12 apostles traveled with Jesus, and they were taught by Jesus. And then they were sent out to do Jesus' mission by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then, after Jesus ascended ascended to heaven, these twelve then became Christ's emissaries. They spoke His name. They preached and they laid the foundations of that New Testament church. They were a unique group with a very special role and purpose. And yet it was not just these twelve then that were apostles, but there were a couple of others added to it. We might think, for example, of James, the the Lord's brother. But also to this group, we might add very significantly the Apostle Paul. Paul later speaks of himself as as an apostle who was untimely born. He was a witness, certainly, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How? Well, it was when he met with the risen Lord Jesus, was it not, on that Damascus road in Acts chapter 9. And there Paul met with the ascended Lord Jesus Christ and received a commission from the Lord Jesus Christ to be one of his messengers. In Acts 9 and verse 15, Ananias, who met with Paul soon after he was converted, was told this about Paul. Ananias was told by Jesus, Go, For he, that is Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And so Paul is an apostle. But here especially, 
in seeking to give this a certain kind of weight, he says, uh, in a very terse expression, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. That word not in the Greek is actually uh, the third word in the sentence. Very simply, it says, Paul, apostle, not. Not what? Not from man nor through man. That is, Paul is saying, I receive my commission not through any group of men. It wasn't simply that the other apostles recognized me as somebody who was wise or godly or gifted and thought that I would make a good apostle. It wasn't even that it was the church necessarily which set me apart, but rather Paul says I received my commission directly from none other than the Lord of Jesus Christ. It was not through any human mediator, but rather a commission that was wholly divine. He was an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Not from man, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and uh, God the Father. Let me just pause for a moment to say, as we read these words in Galatians 1.1, that it was not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, that immediately we are brought with a very, very high view of the Lord Jesus, aren't we? He is saying that Jesus is different from all of the other mere men that live. Now, Jesus is man, right? But he's also God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I make this point to say simply this. There are many unbelieving scholars who want to say that the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ was something which was not believed by Jesus himself. He thought he was just an inspired teacher. They would say it was not believed in the very early church that they thought, again, that he was just some kind of inspired teacher, but rather it was a doctrine that was developed much later. Well, let me say this, that in the very first two New Testament books that are written, James was the first book. Galatians was likely the second book that was written. In the very first verse of each of those two books, the first two New Testament books that were written, we have the very highest view of Jesus Christ right away. James, for example, in James chapter 1, and you'll remember that James was the brother of the half-brother of our Lord. He would have grown up alongside of Jesus Christ, and James identifies himself in this way, James, a servant. Could you imagine your brother calling you a servant? Well, he does that. Why? Because he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes it clear in one breath, he speaks of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, according to James, the first New Testament book that we have that was written. The second book, was likely that of the book of Galatians. And here we have in the very first verse, Paul says, I'm an apostle, oh, not merely from men or through man, but rather through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. From the very beginning, dear friends, Jesus is God. Jesus said that about himself. And he certainly was believed in that way by the early church from the very beginning. But here the point is, in this first verse, is that the living God, who has supremely revealed himself in his own Son, 
whom He has raised from the dead in order to be head over all things, that this glorious God has Himself appointed apostles to speak with His authority and on His behalf. Paul is saying that the living Christ has living apostles and that Paul is one of those apostles. He is making it clear from the beginning that he is speaking not just as an ordinary man, but as an emissary of Christ, as one who has been appointed by none other than Jesus to speak the very word of God. And he goes on then in verse 2 to speak as well of all of the other brothers who are with me. Here, of course, he's referring to companions that were along with him who were Christians. Companions who would have agreed with the message which Paul spoke, but who nonetheless are distinct from Paul. Paul was an apostle. They are brothers. So imagine at this point, okay, the question might come, why is Paul so quick to pull out his apostolic credentials? I mean, why does he immediately say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, whom whom God raised from the dead? You know, you've met people, haven't you, who who are kind of filled with a a sense of their own self-importance. You know, you you don't begin to speak to them for very long before they begin to name drop and tell you the positions that they've held and the things that they've accomplished. And, And you want to say about people who are like that, you want to say either that they are very, very proud or they're very, very insecure. And people don't like to be around people who are like that. Well, is that what Paul is doing here? Is he immediately, you know, he doesn't, he hardly talks at all, and immediately he's kind of pulling out his apostolic credentials. Is he one who is either prideful or tragically insecure? Well, the answer, of course, is no. He pulls out these credentials, not from any kind of psychological desire for self-promotion, but just the opposite. He is jealous for these Galatian Christians who are very near to, dear to his heart, but he's jealous for them with the jealousy of Jesus Christ. False teachers were coming in with a different gospel. And they were disparaging Paul in order to disparage the gospel. And Paul's desire for these dear Christians is that they would not listen to any mere man coming with their own false message of salvation, but rather that they would listen to Jesus Christ and receive His gospel the only gospel that saves. As Phil Riken puts it, speaking about this verse, he says, what was at stake here was not simply Paul's reputation, but our salvation. Paul defends his apostleship because he longs for these Galatians not to be led astray, but rather to be led to Jesus Christ, to love and to follow and to obey Him alone. Dear friends, it's a good reminder for you and for me that the only true gospel, dear friends, is the one that comes through the apostolic witness to the faith. 
Now, there are no living apostles today. But we have the apostles' ministry. We have the apostles' word every bit as much as these Galatian Christians did. And where do we have it? We have it in the pages of Holy Scripture. Where is the apostles' ministry to us? Well, dear friends, it is in the pages of the Bible. And so even as Paul is so quick to insist upon his apostolic credentials, he's doing it so that they would believe the word which he is speaking to them as the word of Christ. And you and I are called to believe every word that is found in this book as the word of Jesus Christ to us. Holy Scripture needs to be received in this way. You see, and here's an important distinction. The Bible is not man's word about God. The Bible is not merely a history of man's attempt to try to discover who God is. Rather, the Bible is God's word to man. Do you understand that distinction? It's not merely a record of people's religious experiences. It's not simply the thoughts that people have had about God through human history. That's kind of an evolutionary view of religion that says, well, with, with each age, there's a kind of development in human religion. And so there was sort of a development from what Old Testament people thought about God to what Jesus thought about God, to what Paul thought about God, and you get the drift that we ought to continue to further evolve and further, you know, accept the things from Paul that he says that are good and discard those things that are bad, that there ought to be this kind of further evolution and man's search for this higher being, man's search for God. That's the view of much of this world regarding religious things, that it is our search for God. But the Bible's Uh, But what the Bible says is something very, very different than that. The Bible's claim is that God has not remained in the dark as something or someone far out there that needs to be searched out. But rather it is that God Himself has bridged the gap. That God has come to us and He has revealed Himself to us. In the pages of the Old Testament, He revealed Himself. In Jesus Christ, He has revealed Himself. Through the apostles, He has revealed Himself. And so the question is, will we believe what He has said? And we aren't free to simply kind of pick and choose, to decide what parts of this we agree with, uh, the things that we want to keep out of the Bible and the things that we want to discard. We aren't called to be creative with Holy Scripture. But rather, we are called to receive it and to study it and to understand it and to believe it and to live by it as the Word of God to us. Friends, it is this apostolic witness, the idea that in the pages of Holy Scripture, it is none other than God Himself speaking to us that ought to drive all of the missionary endeavor of the church. In this week's email, I sent out a short report of the 
of the Jebelos working among the Angave people in Papua New Guinea. What are they doing? They are translating the Bible so that those people can hear proclaimed to them the Word of God in their own language. It is the truth that God has revealed Himself that drives the church's missionary witness. Same with the Meletiotuses. Why are they distributing New Testaments throughout the region of Greece in which they live? It is because it is the Word of God to men. We, we, we send it out, we proclaim it, because this is what God has spoken to us that we are to receive and believe and live by. And dear friends, it's what ought to, what ought to drive all of our own missionary endeavors in this region of western Massachusetts. It is to make known to the people with which we are surrounded, who are groping now in darkness, as it were, to give to them the life-giving message of the risen King Jesus, to proclaim His gospel of salvation to people who otherwise uh, do not know. So this is why Paul is so insistent from the beginning about his own uh, apostolic witness. He is, is an authority that is not from man. Now let's move on. Secondly, in our passage, we've seen an authority that is not from man. Now secondly, I want us to consider a gospel that is not from man. Verses 3 through 5. Verses 3 through 5. Uh, there, Paul begins with what is kind of a normal uh, greeting. He's already identified himself. Paul, who he's writing to, the churches of Galatia. Now verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of Paul's frequent greetings. Uh, but you'll notice he takes what is a common greeting and he kind of Christianizes it. He speaks here, first of all, of grace. Grace, of course, being the favor of God toward hell-deserving sinners. It is grace which is the source of every spiritual blessing. He says, grace to you and peace. Peace is the chief blessing which is given by the gospel of grace. We are now in a state of peace, a state of shalom. Not only an end to hostility, but a restoration of a right relationship and a true fellowship with the living God. So as recipients of God's grace, we now have peace with God. And so he greets them in these gospel words, grace to you and peace. Not just given from Paul, but from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he goes on, after this brief gospel greeting, then to give a brief summary of that which the gospel consists in. Now, we're going to see these words, as it were, expanded on through the rest of the book of Galatians. We're going to be hitting these themes over and over again. But at the very beginning of the book, Paul gives it in brief Summary form. And as he speaks here of the gospel, notice where the emphasis lies. What does this gospel consist in? Well, it's of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. It consists chiefly in his work on the cross. When he speaks about the gospel, Paul immediately goes to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds us, doesn't it, of what 
of what he said to those Corinthian believers. 1 Corinthians 2, 3, I determined not to know anything among you except what? Except Christ and Him crucified. Or in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 1, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. And we want to say, what gospel was this, Paul? Verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. The gospel is first about what? It is about what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Or the book of Romans, even. Romans that great gospel treatise in Romans chapter 3 as he comes to describe what the gospel is about. Romans 3 verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified. How? By His grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. There it is again. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so even here at the very outset of Galatians, as Paul, for the first time in this book, as it were, opens up what the gospel is all about, he immediately goes to the cross, to the atonement. That which Christ has done on Calvary to bring reconciliation between God and men. And so I want to just briefly, very briefly here, point out five different things that we're told here about this atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The first of those is the subject of the atonement. That is, who gave Himself? And we're very clear that it is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, Yahweh, Jesus. His human name, meaning God saves. Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. It is this Savior who has done what? who gave gave Himself, we are told. That is, what is the cross chiefly about? Well, it's not chiefly about the Jews who unjustly sentenced Jesus and handed Him over. It is not chiefly about the Romans who wickedly executed Him on a Roman cross. But the the cross's chief explanation lies in this. That Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, came and willingly gave Himself up for our salvation. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us. John 10, 17 and 18. I lay down my life, Jesus says. I lay it down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And so who is the subject of the atonement? It is the Lord Jesus Christ who willingly gave of Himself. But then secondly, we're told something of the nature of the atonement. The nature of the atonement. He gave Himself for our sins. What is the atonement in its essence? It is an atonement that is for our sins. Now what is that word for? mean? The word for can be a kind of general word. It can mean he gave himself with respect to our sins or because of our sin. But it can mean also much more than that, that he gave himself 
on behalf of our sin. And indeed, it is that idea that as we open up the pages of the New Testament elsewhere, that we find that that idea that Christ gave Himself for our sins, that's what it means. He gave Himself as a sin offering, as a substitutionary sacrifice, as a propitiation that is the one who would bear the wrath of God in our place. As, is, as we're going to be told later in Galatians, Galatians 3.13, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That for Him to give Himself for our sins means that hanging on the cross, He became a curse in our place, bearing our sin for our salvation. So, dear friends, that's the nature of the atonement. Well, the third thing that we see here is something of the effect of the atonement. That is, what did the atonement accomplish? Well, He gave Himself for our sins to do what? To deliver us from the present evil age. Okay? What that means is that you and I live in what is called a present evil age. That is, an age that is dominated by sin and Satan, by the world under the corruption of evil. And what the Lord does by His work on the cross is He actually performs a rescue mission. He comes and He delivers us. He redeems us. He brings us out of this present evil age and brings us into what is called the age to come. That is, an age that is freed from the curse and redeemed by God. A perfect world of love and fellowship between people and their God. It is a message of deliverance. And the idea is is that you and I in Christ can experience the age to come to some degree even now. And we look forward to it in glory in all of its fullness. The good news of the gospel is that you and I can be delivered. Isn't that wonderful news? Do you want to be delivered? To be delivered from the sinfulness of this world. To be delivered from death. To be delivered delivered from the anxiety that you experience. To be delivered from all that marks this cursed world. To be delivered from the influence of the devil. The good news of the gospel is, is that Jesus Christ, through His redeeming death, delivers people from this present evil age. He brings us nearer to Himself. Oh, dear friends, what a wonderful deliverance this is. That's the effect of the atonement. Now, fourthly, the origin of the atonement. The origin of the atonement. There we read that this atonement is according to the will of our God and Father. (laughs) Isn't that glorious? What that means is that the cross was in God's mind long before you were ever born. It was at the very center of His plan, even from all eternity. And that the cross has its origin, dear friends, in the very love of God for us. John 3.16, For God what so loved the world that He did what? That He gave His only begotten Son. It is out of the will and the purpose, the loving purpose of God that He gives His Son for us. So dear friends, the cross itself is the very pulpit of the love of God. 
there God, as it were, announces His love for lost humanity, a love that is greater than any other. It is even in the giving of His own Son on the cross. So that's the origin of the atonement. It is found in the loving purpose of Almighty God. But now fifth, we see something here of the purpose of the atonement. The purpose of the atonement. And dear friends, the purpose of the atonement is not only that you and I will be saved. And that's one of the purposes. That's the purpose. But dear friends, it is that our salvation will redound to the glory and majesty and praise of Almighty God. You see, that's where he ends this. Speaking of the atoning work of Jesus Christ, he then says that it was according to the will of our God and Father, and then he gives a doxology to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is, Paul cannot even begin to begin to think about the cross of Jesus Christ before he just lifts up his voice in praise and exaltation of the God who has brought glory from it all. Oh, dear friends, it is the glory of God that is the great purpose of the atonement. His glory supreme above all else. And so do you see what Paul is saying at the beginning of this book of Galatians? Is that not only do I speak from an authority that is not from man, I speak on behalf of the risen Christ, but I bring to you, dear friends, a gospel as well that is a gospel that no man could ever dream up on their own, but a gospel that is delivered from the very throne room of heaven, a gospel of salvation, full and free, a gospel of the glory of Almighty God. That's what he brings. And it's just a little taste that he gives us here at the beginning. And the rest of the book is going to open up for us the glories of this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So before we leave this, let me just give a little bit of application here. You know, over these next several months, you and I are going to be talking about the gospel a lot. We're going to talk about Jesus and about His blood and about Him becoming a curse for us and about what it means to receive it by faith alone. And we're going to talk about how the gospel is not what we do for God, but it's about what God has done for us. We're going to talk a lot about the gospel. And as we get ready to do that over these next several months together, let me just say a couple of things to you by way of application. And the first is this. I want you to make it your goal over these next months to understand what this gospel is. To understand what the gospel is. That is, I want you to come away from our study of Galatians with a firm and clear grasp of what the good news of the gospel is. I want you to understand how it is different from all the other forms of salvation by works that are out there. And you know, people have all sorts of forms of work salvation. Or they think that they're going to be in heaven because they're a pretty religious person. They think that they're going to be saved because they're a nice person. They think that the goal of life is to just simply live a healthy and well-balanced life. Or that our great purpose is to try to change the world in which we live. These are all substitute gospels and false gospels. And you need to walk away from our study these next months being able to distinguish how those things are different from the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. To know why it is that Jesus came and what He accomplished by the cross 
and how a person can be right with God. And to be able to articulate that, to articulate that to your children, to be able to articulate that to your college roommate or to your co-worker or to your friend, to be able to tell them what, it is, what is so special about the work of Jesus and what the gospel is. Friends, can we make it our goal? You might think even now, I think I know what the gospel is. Might it be our goal that by the end of this study of Galatians, that you will be able clearer than ever before to understand and to articulate this amazing good news of Jesus Christ. But then the second thing I want to say at the outset of our study of Galatians now, and it is this, that it is my great goal for you that each and every one of you in this room will embrace Jesus Christ as He is offered in the gospel. You see, the gospel is meant not only to be understood, but the gospel is meant to change us. And it is is meant to bring us face to face with Jesus Christ that we might receive and trust in Him alone for salvation. You know, if there are people here who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, it is my earnest prayer that by the end of this study of Galatians, that you will see Christ in all of His beauty and glory, all of His fullness and sufficiency of His redeeming work, and that you will trust in Him by faith. And I pray that each one of us, even if you've known Christ for many years, will cling to this Lord Jesus. Be more and more thankful for Him and receive the consolation that the gospel brings to us. And that you will live by faith alone in Him. Well, might the Lord help us to do this over these next months together. An authority that is not for man, the gospel, praise God, that is not for man as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these opening verses of Galatians, which, as it were, whet our appetite for what is to come. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken not in mere words of human wisdom, but rather that you have spoken divine truth by an authority that was appointed by you for the declaration of this truth, even the Apostle Paul. And we pray, Lord, for grace to receive this, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the very living word of God. We pray as well, O Lord, that we would come to believe and to embrace and to love the gospel of free grace. O Lord, open open it up to our understandings in these next weeks and months that we have, Lord. We We pray as well that you would impact our hearts and our wills, that we would be drawn to this glorious Savior of sinners, even the Lord Jesus Christ. So do this, we pray, for your glory. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing now. We're going to sing to God's praise and glory. It's a hymn that we learned about a month ago in our adult Sunday school, and then we've sung it once in worship so far. So we'll sing it again today in worship. It's hymn number 444, a hymn written by James Montgomery Boyce, Come to the Waters. Hymn 444 will sing stanzas one through four.
seated. We'll come to the Lord's table today. Let us uh, first. Let me first of all read for you the words of institution that are found in First Corinthians chapter eleven. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. Given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We come to the Lord's table today. This is a table uh, for sinners. In my study of our passage this week for Galatians chapter 1, came across these words by Martin Luther as he was commenting on the words that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. Those words, our sins. And here Luther says, let us learn here of Paul to fully and truly believe that Christ was given not for feigned sins, nor for small, but for great and huge sins. Not for few, but for many. Not for conquered sins, for no man can overcome the smallest sin to put it away, but for invincible sins. And except thou be found in the number of those that say, Our sins, that is, of those that have the doctrine of faith, and teach, hear, learn, love, and believe the same, there is no salvation for thee. In other words, might we come to this table with joy and thanksgiving in our hearts, saying, though our sins, they are so many, and we grieve over them that we are nonetheless so thankful for the gospel of our Lord Jesus, which says that he gave himself for our sins. And so I invite to this table today all you who know yourself to be a sinner in need of a Savior. You are looking in faith to the one who has done all that is necessary to put our sins away, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have made a profession of that faith and are a baptized believer in good standing in a church where Jesus Christ is preached, then I invite you to this table today. Come and welcome. But if this is not you, if you are not looking to Christ, or if you have not yet identified with His people, the church of Jesus Christ, then do not come to this table today, but Uh, Let these elements pass you by, but might it be that soon you would join us here at this table of the Lord. Let's now look to the Lord together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your body and for your blood. Lord Jesus, shed so willingly for us on Calvary's tree. Lord, 
It was not that another took away your life, but you gave it of your own accord that you might save us, poor sinners though we are. So we draw near to you this day. and Lord, we thank you for this bread and for this wine, which minister to us in all of our weakness and assure us of the truth of your gospel. And Lord, we pray that even as we come to this table today, that we would do so in hearts full of, with hearts full of faith and that we would truly feed upon you by faith. Oh Lord, minister to our needy souls. Show us more of Jesus Christ. Fill us again with a wonder at the gospel of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The same night in which our Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, He took bread and after giving thanks, He broke it and He gave it to His disciples. As I ministering in His name, give it unto you. And He said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as you receive the bread, hold on to it. We'll eat it together at my direction.
Indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ has given himself for our sins. Let us eat the bread in faith. In the same manner, also after supper, he took the cup, and after giving thanks, as has been done in his name, he gave it to his disciples, and he said that this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. As you receive the cup, uh, you can hold on to it, and we'll drink it at my direction. The inner circle of the cup is wine, the outer circle is grape juice. Together. Look again to the Lord uh, in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this Holy Supper. We thank you that you, in your mercy, have given us bread and wine, that we should 
eat and drink until that time when we shall sit down at the wedding supper of the Lamb, and what a day of glory that will be. Lord, might we remember to live this life by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us, we pray. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Now receive our deacon's offering. This offering goes to support those both inside and outside of our congregation with material and temporal needs.